I'm Steve, and hey, it's still October, and Adam Myros is still here. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Well, what, what am I saying? This, this, this week's a joy. I know it's not all bad. Usually, usually October's with Sean are a real joy, and then uh, you know, I I pitched for November. You guys, uh, what if we did movies that are good in November? What do you think about that? It's never gonna last. <laughs> There's always something. Uh, and then back again, I mean, of we're course. already squeezing some shit into this month with the, uh, with the Patreon episode that you've pitched. That's true. Although, you know, I, I, we don't want to give away too much here, but uh, Patreon bonus episode this month, I assumed this could be something that's actually good. I was expecting a pleasant surprise, and instead of a pleasant surprise, it's a, a big wet fart. So, you know, these things happen from time to time. Uh, yeah, it, it's pretty, pretty terrible, pretty, pretty worthless, but, uh, we, yeah, I, I don't know why we're guarding what the fuck we're doing, yeah, or, uh, you know, yeah, it is, it, it's Hulu Hellraiser, <laughs> Hulu Hellraiser, it's what everyone's been looking forward to, uh, Sean, how pumped are you for Hulu Hellraiser? You know, I still need to do, uh, the original Hellraiser. You've never seen the original Hellraiser? How the fuck did no, we well, screw that I think up? We watched uh, your house uh, once, uh, your previous apartment, and I think I fell asleep during it, unfortunately. But I really do want to want to oh, watch wow. that. See, we we could screw that up because what's the? It doesn't fit the format. Like, what are you going to watch? Like Clyde watch Parker? Those... <laughs> yeah, Rawhead Rex and uh, well, Hellraiser. Got, what else like, do you uh, need? I've watched a couple of his. Um, what? what are those short format uh, horror things? Master of Horror things. Clive Barker has a Master of Horror episode. I don't so, unless I'm that. just. Oh, it might just be. It's probably just a writing credit, right? Yeah, like that's. I'm if we follow the format of directors uh, that we usually take with with uh, October, it, it would be. Well, it's doable because we you've got uh, Nightbreed. That's decent. Yeah. And then you've got uh, Lord of Illusions, which I, I'm not a big fan of, but some people like it. It's it's not like wretched. It'd be worth uh, well, that could be a good three uh, three film set for one of these years. There you go, Clive Barker next year. Sean, you're not allowed to watch Hellraiser. You can watch Hellraiser Eight if you'd like, though. That's allowed. You guys watched uh, one of his other writing credits, right? The uh, Have you guys talked about uh, Candyman uh, Farewell to the Flesh? Uh, oh yeah, we, we did. We did. We did an episode on the remake and the two sequels <laughs> last and, year. And uh, how did you yeah. guys think it? It's stacked up to um, like Gods and Monsters and Kinsey. Uh I don't even know where, what. Where was it on the Condon scale? Scale. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the it's the Kinsey of of uh, sequels to Candyman. I think. <laughs> probably the best way to put it i <laughs> i don't fucking know the best thing you can say about Candyman: farewell to the flesh is it's better than Candyman: day of the dead so that you know if that's your criteria for a movie boy have we got one for you lord of illusions looks sweet lord of illusions <laughs> is 
like not great from what I remember. However, I will say when I was a kid, the uh, the trailer scared the shit out of me. So there's that. I I would venture to say it's probably better than I remember it being, but it it, it definitely has some like low budget '90s uh, issues. We'll say that. Oh, and Cronenberg um, is in his other one. Yeah, Nightbreed. Yep, he's he's actually a major actor in that film for whatever reason. <laughs> and that uh, that has just recently received a like director's cut or something like that, like a big a big recut uh, recently on because it was a infamously studio destroyed film yeah so all right well i mean this is good you know a lot of a lot of our listeners are like what do you you know what do we want from the podcast and they're like give us give us the uh, behind the scenes we want to know what's happening next year and we've done it for you once again yeah we're, we're covering clive barker right? <laughs> yep that's right 365 Today, yeah. day countdown to clive barker folks I'm not allowed to watch hellraiser here i thought this episode was about clive barker i must have fucked something up <laughs> no believe it or yeah. not uh we're, we're not we're not covering clive barker uh we're we're live carker <laughs> we're going uh we're going straight to italy you know in honor of our worst intro ever by the way it's possible it's possible uh we, well i mean it's it is columbus day and uh you know so in honor of the italians uh <laughs> We're covering in honor of <laughs> in honor of 1492 productions. Amerigo Vespucci. Yeah. <laughs> We're covering uh, Michaela Suave, Suave, Rico Suave. Uh, he's the guy who made Cemetery Man. Uh, I, you know, that's how I think most of us know him. But uh, believe it or not, he's made uh, a shitload of other movies, and they're all great. And we're lucky enough to cover them. And if you're wondering who uh, Michaela Suave is. Well, first off, if you look him up, he he kind of looks like a super Italian Anthony Bourdain, so good for him. Uh, he is someone who's been really embedded in the Italian film industry since like the late 1970s. He started off as an actor, and he worked with all the big guys. Uh, he's really good friends with Lumberto Bava. He worked a lot with Fulci. Uh, he was bros with Dario Argento. And uh, famously, he kind of learned how to be a filmmaker, how to, you know, manage a set by doing five straight movies with none other than Joe D'Amato. So, Sean, if uh, you like Suave, uh, the reason is probably because of that Joe D'Amato DNA that's kind of infused into his filmmaking. That's right. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know, when, when you watch movies like uh, Anthropophagus 2, a.k.a. Horrible, a.k.a. Absurd, or when you watch Caligula 2, The Untold Story... You know, everybody was crying out. They say, when are we going to get more Caligula? And Joe D'Amato was like, I'll, I'll take care of that. Uh, if you watch. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it wasn't told until he did it. Mm -hmm. It really wasn't. There's so much more to that guy that, that people aren't talking about. And uh, See, I, I suppose we should mention that I, I believe we covered Absurd on the D'Amato episode. As well we as uh, we Church. talked about Suave last year uh, with, with, when we broke our own director's rule and covered. The Loose Demons franchise. Yeah. Which, you know, again, makes sense because, uh, yeah, Suave's actually connected to not one, but two uh, Demons fake sequels, things that are loosely associated with the Demons franchise. So there you go. Uh, yes. Well, this is all <laughs> Japan's doing, by the way. They're, they're, these are not Demon sequels anywhere, but Japan. Japan's for now. Yeah. <laughs> so... 
Weird. Anyways, after after working with Argento and Joe D'Amato and Bava, Lomberto Bava, he uh, he decides to branch out. He decides he's not going to be just an AD anymore. He's not going to just be an actor. He's going to do his thing because he had actually been uh, writing for a while too. And uh, he was like Lomberto Bava's writing buddy. And uh, I mean, that's how Argento found him is uh, Argento liked his writing, believe it or not. So that brings us to Stage Fright, which is his debut film. And as far as, I don't know, like debut Italian genre films go, I can't think of one better than this, to be completely honest. Uh, if you go back, you know, with, with all the uh, the masters of Italian horror and you look at what their beginnings were, it's usually pretty humble stuff. You know, it's a, well, a it's lot of a, them were, were like apprentices. Right. And then mm-hmm. like kind of taking over taking over properties that weren't exactly. Yeah. Prestigious like uh, Martino taking over like uh, Arizona cult returns. Oh, and there's Not a lot right. of that. <laughs> Fulci too, yeah. <laughs> like his early westerns. Uh, so that's that's usually how it went. It was like, you know, oh, you got your start. It's because somebody dropped out of a project. Look, now you're the director, and it's either a porn or a western or a western porn. <laughs> and this just <laughs> hit the ground running, buddy. And Swati yeah, was yeah. he was lucky enough where you know not only did he get to study under these masters, but uh, he was really able to just kind of build his own resume that way. And really, for his debut, make a movie that he actually wanted to make. Go figure. And have complete creative control over it, which, again, uh, not something I would expect. And the thing that I really admire about this movie, Stage Fright, a.k.a. Aquarius, um, a.k.a. I think in France it was called, like, uh, Lay Stabby Bird or something like that. I'm not even joking. Like, <laughs> Bloody Bird or something. Uh, this is kind of a huge moment for Italian slasher movies because it's kind of moving away from the traditional Italian giallo and and what we expect from an Italian slasher and Stage Fright is really informed by I think American style slashers and the kind of the, the big psycho killer motif but it's filmed in a very Italian way um it's it's very theatrical. So yeah, I fucking wish American slashers looked like this. <laughs> I know that's the thing. It's just like oh, it, you know, it it takes some of the uh, you know the the construction of the story beats and and the things we come to expect from American slashers, but it's just it's fucking gorgeous the entire time. Yeah, uh, if you have a masked killer in an American slasher, it's like uh, featureless white mask. <laughs> Here yeah. we've got this fucking gigantic owl head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it it really is again like testament to his talent that, considering what this movie is about, aka uh, a guy in a, like a giant owl mask <laughs> going around murdering people, and it I mean it, God the opening scene is like this theatrical production that they're they're rehearsing and. You know, th- this opening scene ends with like a woman like just jamming out on a saxophone. And mm-hmm. when you watch this, it's like right. all these things that isolate, isolate it. Like you just isolate these clips. You'd be like, you know, you just laugh at it because it looks hilarious. But somehow it-, it just gets around that. And you're like, oh, this movie is like beautiful and tense. And it just it's so fucking smart. And 
it's it's such a narrow line for him to walk. It has a very like uh, kind of a um, mishmash of of uh, previous Italian horror movie qualities to it, but not in a way that feel that it feels like uh, it's indebted, but it, it's not like um, you know just a, a carbon copy. But you have like you know there's a resemblance to demons with it just being in this this plate this place of performance and art, whatever that, that, that they're in. Um, and you also have, you know, that saxophone is like straight out of devil's honey, which I think was a few years before this. Yeah. Uh, right around the same movie. time. But yeah, I think it was a little bit earlier. Also shout out to devil's honey. Like no one's ever tooted a horn out of vag like that movie. So no. <laughs> um, and also, yeah, obviously like the killer stuff comes from like Jala, but it's not, it's not doing the same thing. It's, uh something entirely different yeah it, it it definitely follows that more american tradition in that there is no mystery element to this at all uh it's just you know here's the killer and he's coming for us <laughs> and we're locked in this house or you know theater but uh basically it's it's a lot more of a halloween setup than it is a traditional giallo um it also feels kind of like a um, murder rocky which um also came a few years before which i love and um uh yeah anyway we can we can get more into it but what were you gonna say myra yeah no i i i'm with you i, I was gonna you, you know what this always makes me think of is opera which swabby yeah. acted in so you're like oh he probably you know worked with our on it, but they're the same year it's kind of strange that those two movies oh are you know they're they're they came out around the same exact time. So they, they were just like kind of on parallel tracks, I guess, because this is, it's a lot different film than opera, but it, it certainly of any Argento uh, mirrors that the most. I think. Yeah, definitely. It also reminded me of, um, Phantom of the Paradise, the, uh, the Palma picture. Yeah, sure. I mean, they're, they're much different, but it has that same sort of like rock opera feeling with the, with the music in, in stage fright. Yeah, um, it, it is just yeah. like, that's the thing about Suave is it's tricky to pin him down sometimes because you do watch this and you're like, you are thinking of demons. You're like, oh, this is a, a big, dumb schlock fest. It's going to be a blast. I'm strapped in to enjoy myself. But then it changes gears. There's this this early killing where the they're like staging this rehearsal and this actress is is strangled on stage by the kid. It's just like one of the best scenes I've ever seen in a slasher, frankly. Yeah. Like it's yeah. so goddamn beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and that's one of the fun things about the movie too is it it really does play around a lot with uh just theatricality and performance within the movie and then how that kind of carries Perception. over the slashing yeah. if you will and yeah because i mean it's it's this musical that they're performing they're practicing for where it's about like a, a guy in an owl mask who like stalks women and kills them and uh yeah so that then you have this crossover <laughs> yeah. where just you know he cut the, the the actual killer in the actual movie that we're watching goes onto the stage within the confines of the play and then the director is like directing him to kill this woman right. and he's like yeah there you go that's how you do it and then strangles her down and then god yeah it's it, it really is incredible stuff 
And it's, it's just the way it's staged is so bizarre, too, because this, as we're introduced to the play, it is this, like, super fucking cheesy-ass, like, fucking 80s rock opera or something, and then this scene that they're staging, it's like queuing up some fucking gorgeous classical music, and there's these feathers blowing all over the place, and you're like, are these in the same play? I don't fucking know, but, you know, I'm not gonna complain, because, Jesus, this is, uh... It's just, it changes on a dime. The movie you're watching, you're just like, oh, this is not trash. Yeah, well, young student filmmakers, that... take note. If you want your shitty movie to look better, uh, just take your down comforter, slice it open, throw those feathers up in the air. That shit looks great. Well, I kind of guess you're not going to be able to light, like, uh, the Italian horror masters. Mm -hmm. And also, like, every time I watch one of these things... I'm just like, this is shot on film, like, all these fucking, again, Suave, most of his movies are, are not Argento movies, they're fairly low budget, he worked in, you know, Steve might have called him lucky at the start of his career, but certainly his luck did not last long, because the industry collapsed around him, uh, but, yeah, it's like, these elaborate tracking shots, for no fucking reason at all, like, the way that they stretch their money and just get everything out of the equipment they have. It's just fucking never ceases to amaze me. Mm -hmm. And I, I think some of the most striking images too are you know, it's not even fancy camera work. It's just how everything is composed within the frame. Like, uh, at the end of the movie, uh, the killer sort of collects all the bodies uh, or parts of the bodies <laughs> of the people that he's murdered throughout the course of the night. And he poses them on the stage, you know, and just just the shot of him sitting in a chair surrounded by all these posed dead bodies. And I mean, it's it's nothing fancy, but it's it's so striking. Uh, it's got this really wonderful theatrical lighting again because of the setting, but also it just enhances everything within the movie. And uh, yeah, it's fucking perfect. And it makes me wonder why I didn't love this movie more when I watched it. Like 15 well, years ago. <laughs> well, I mean, like, uh, the, we'll probably talk about this with each, but, um, Myros, you kind of talking about like, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, I can't remember how you, how you put it, but, um, you, you don't really have to, you, or you need to like keep yourself from focusing on like structure and, and, uh, and like plot, uh, sort of. <laughs> what's the word just the me the mechanics of the film like you kind of have to like disregard that for like the textures and um the like theatricality of, of what he's doing um in, in a way that i think when when you're not calibrated for it i mean it, like there are some like leaden patches in uh most of these films and it, it can take you out of it um and especially if you're like looking to grasp on to like character stuff and it's just not there. Oh no. I, I mean, only one of these three films even is remotely concerned with, with character development at all, I would say. And, um, right. it's certainly not this one. This is, uh, again, in, in structure, it's just a, a pretty clever concept for a very, you know, new line cinemas fucking, Mm -hmm. cash in slasher yeah 
Yeah, it's it's the original Scream Two. <laughs> God, I mean, I mean, the theater scene is taken like it really is from that. Yeah, like uh, the stabbing. Yeah, stab. Mm-hmm. Happy twenty fifth anniversary, Wes Craven. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This is this is like you said, Steve. Like this is a really strong debut. I mean, um, the the rock opera stuff is is just like aesthetically not my thing mm-hmm. um so that's always like a, a little bit of a barrier uh you know it just doesn't fit within like an aesthetic i already like uh desire to see but um but i mean like and, and i do think that ro- that murder rock is better film which uh also detracts a little bit from my experience of being like oh well i could just watch murder rock but they are different um and uh Schwabi was good. It might not have been Fulci, but um, this is uh, there's a lot going on here in in both just like the, I mean, the camera stuff is like so much is taken from from uh, Argento. Uh, yeah, and, for sure. But but it's interesting. It's still interesting. It's not just like a rip off. Oh, OK, like like he loves f- to shoot like flying objects as well. Mm-hmm. They're like floating objects, like the down stuff. There's something like that in like every single one of these movies. Yeah, to me, um, it's like he's somewhere like he's a mix of the two. He's he's got a lot of Fulci in him, and obviously he's a student of Argento, so he's got. I, I think that's what makes him feel so special to me. Uh, beyond the fact that he's basically the last great Italian horror director, is that. He feels like this strange hybrid of, of Fulci and Argento in a way that is like, yeah, it's yeah. got this technical mastery, but also this really uh, intangible like eye for for yeah. beautiful imagery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I think he probably uh, got his really his his lack of interest in conventional storytelling from Fulci too, you know, it, it's telling yeah. that one of his first big roles as an actor was in city of the living dead because, um, not so much with stage fright, but by the time we get to his next movie in 91, the sect, uh, you know, that's <laughs> feels like a script ripped out of the pages of, uh, you know, something Fulci would write because it, it's just, you yeah, know, it's, it's not there, but I mean, that's not the point. And, and I think these movies, you know, uh, Suave to an extent, definitely Fulci when I was younger. There was a lot that I loved, but at the same time, I, I think I, I was looking for conventional storytelling. And uh, right. I'm, I'm glad that I can come back to these movies now and be like, no, that shit doesn't matter. Like, you don't have to be like, just because it's not beat to beat like a, a, a conventional linear story, that doesn't matter because there's just individual set pieces and the overall mood and just this like dreamy, hazy quality to his filmmaking another thing he definitely gets from Fulci that completely trumps everything else. And, uh, yeah, which I think, I think, I think stage, stage fright's premise does kind of help with that. Like, and mm-hmm. we can talk about this with, with, with uh cemetery man later, but, um, in a different way, but, um, cause it does provide like a playground. Like, so for somebody, you know, that might not be like super like interested or attuned to like, uh, this type of stuff you're talking about, Steve, like narrative stuff, like you at least have like this con- concept that you're just like in the whole time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, For me, that was like one of the big challenges with Italian horror is that 
when you're, you know, 19 and kind of into horror and the people who are selling you on this stuff are gore hounds, you know, they're like, oh, you're going to want to see this. Look at this eyeball get sliced open. And me, I, 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 I like gore effects. I, I'm interested in how they're achieved and stuff, but I, it's never really, wasn't really my pull into horror. I'm more of a sucker for like achieving tension uh you know it, it's like a, a fun magic trick uh, how, how that's pulled off and so like accessing it was difficult for me like when i when i watched something like city of the living dead when i was 20 i was like well this is bullshit like <laughs> this fucking sucks um and it doesn't but you you have to get there you have to meet it halfway i would say and yeah i think suave is in many ways, a a pretty good entry point for a lot of folks because it, it is obviously newer than most Italian horror you're going to come into. And also, it's just, you know, something like Cemetery Man is not a hard sell. Like, it's a fun movie that, that reads to Americans, at least on some level. And it, I, I, it's a good entry point, I would say, uh, before you get into the deep waters of something like Fulci. Yeah. Well, and that's funny too, because I mean, yeah, you think of Suave as the, the kind of the last gasp of Italian genre filmmaking and, and this collapsing Italian film industry. And then you're like, okay, so he was like the last guy, but also probably the best place to start and just kind of work your way backwards from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I don't want to cut this too short, but uh, moving into his next film, uh, this is where. I feel like Suave, he, he kind of comes into his own and he really firmly establishes what his cinematic style is. And if you saw flourishes of this in <laughs> uh, Stage Fright, by the time you get to the sect in 1991, he has fully committed to the idea of just incredibly strong imagery and, and pure, uncut moodiness without any regard for a narrative that makes a lick of fucking sense. So if you ask yourself, you know, do, do I want to see a very Italian take on Rosemary's Baby uh, without any regard for conventional narrative? The answer to that is yes. Have I got the movie for you? And it's The Sect, uh, which another one that I, I can't believe I slept on this one for so long. I watched it 15 years ago. I was like, eh, it's all right. And now I, yeah. I fucking love it. And it yeah, still even seems as a like, fan, like yeah. we watched this, this, I think was, this was the last Suave film we, we saw, you know, like mm-hmm. it was hard to find back in the day. And we, we really liked the other three, I would say. Uh, and you, you come to this one and it's just kind of a thud. And, now when I watch it, I'm like, what the fuck was wrong with me? This movie's yeah. fucking incredible. Yep, exactly. And, you know, it, it does have some kind of shocking, kind of bombastic scenes to it, but where it really shines is where you have all these almost intentionally kind of leaden and slow as molasses fucking sequences, but that's where he really builds all the tension in the atmosphere. Uh, it's fun though. Cause I was joking before the episode started. I was like, Myros, I'm going to make you tell the listeners what the plot is of, of the sect. 
Like, well, I said easy. It's just it's Rosemary's baby. It's it is. So it's, it's the just, rabbit a, and the guy with the box, and then there's the the blue string in the water, and uh, you know, these are just details, Steve. <laughs> I, this is the first of these three that I watched. I mean, I had seen what a way to fucking last, start. <laughs> well, I had seen I had seen the church last year as as Myros um, mentioned, so I was like prepped for his style, um, and I was really taken with the sect. But it, I was it was interesting that it has this like tie back to like a much earlier period, um, like the church does too with that with that fantastic opening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. You don't get that in stage fright as much. Um, you, you could, you could say that is like kind of the premise in Cemetery Man in some ways. But um, uh, I, I just it, the movie just keeps going and going. Like talk about like how convoluted the plot is, but it, it's just like each each new wrinkle is like offers like this new way for him to highlight like his visual talent. Um, but like that that shot in the beginning where that guy is killing the woman in the house and he has like the he like very quickly just goes to the uh, like windmill thing in front of it in the front yard. It's just like so stunning that it just kind of like uh, pulls you right in. Yeah, to me, this rivals anything Argento ever made as far as just like sheer technical craft and like visual beauty. Like it is just and it's it's not it, it's not a high budget film, I would say say it's like i don't know it's such a weird one because it is a it it, it's a nonsense movie and it it does in many ways it feels like just kind of like uh a fucking asylum movie or something you know like it it is straight up like (laughs) one of the you know spaghetti sharks movies you know it it feels like just a complete rosemary's baby knockoff And, and that's you know in in most hands, this is going to be, you know, a, a, a script that goes to Joe D'Amato most of the time or something, and they, <laughs> it's just like complete fucking shit. Uh, but ninety one, I think Uncle Joe was making just hardcore porn exclusively. So, yeah, fair enough. It's just like th- this is just it feels so unlikely. Like you read this synopsis in an Italian horror movie, and you're like, this is going to be bottom barrel bullshit. And it is not that at fucking all. Well, every once in a while, like something will happen in, in uh, like this movie uh, or like Cemetery Man, where it, it, it is very similar to stuff that you would see if you just pop in like any random Finnegar syndrome Blu-ray mm-hmm. that like it doesn't have a pedigree, you know, that is like known. It's just kind of like this whatever uh weird like cult item. Um that is just you know like interesting um and but you know like cheesy's not the right word, but just sort of like a bit like gonzo and and uh stuff like this or, or stuff in like in the sect every once in a while something will happen where you're just like this is so weird and like uh it's hard to really pin down suave's uh sensibility sometimes which is the joy of it is just like how uh, how unboxed in he feels yeah this movie there are probably like six elaborate tracking shots dedicated to the movement through the house of a rabbit uh, one of which culminates <laughs> in said rabbit, who may or may not be an agent of Satan, uh, cha- changing the television <laughs> channel via remote <laughs> so he can watch 
uh some news i i it, it, <laughs> it, it's just yeah there is a level of complete gonzo nonsense in this mm-hmm. absolutely and yeah uh, that's okay like this movie sure it's languid is all get all like it's not some rip roaring thing but <laughs> if you give yourself over to it it, it there is there are joys to be found yeah mm-hmm. and, and it's all in the details with this movie too like I love the way that Wavi he sort of foregrounds all these things that to most filmmakers would be afterthoughts. Uh, got like one of the most beautiful scenes in the entire movie is like uh, a woman is killed and there's some spilled milk on the ground and then you just oh, yeah. you just watch the blood and the milk sort of like swirl into each other. It's and it's, but it's gorgeous. Like a Rorschach. It, it, he like turns it into I don't know how he did that if he did it on purpose or what, but it like. And I paused it at, at, like afterwards. I went back to it, and it looks like a like a perfect like Rorschach of like blood in the milk. It's uh, fascinating. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And again, like, and, and then it keeps for like a second. You know, it's like that. That's that's like the beauty of of uh, somebody this talented that just doesn't linger on. I mean, even the the shot from the poster. You know, like this this mask over this face. Like these things aren't like like indulgent is a word that you could on one hand use to describe somebody who just kind of like follows his own lead all the time um but like he has like a certain restraint or just like overflowing with talent uh mm-hmm. that like he doesn't feel the need to like uh be like oh look what i can do <laughs> yeah it's uh it's not flashy you know when we talk about this like oh it's stylistically beautiful this is this is it never feels showy or flashy it's just kind of this uh, just effortless beauty in what he does which is a weird thing to say about a guy that, you know, makes a movie about a satanic bunny rabbit and the birth of Satan and, uh, you know, a, a giant owl that stabs people in a theater. Uh, it's like you, you these aren't these aren't ways you would normally describe a movie like that. But, yeah, it's it's just not showy. It's, it's really yeah, nice. it's just <laughs> for a movie that is, again, just a really it's a plot that's been done a thousand times by 1991. It, it has so many fucking ideas like this whole business. There's a sequence where it, this man inserts an insect into a woman while she's dreaming. And it like sweeps into this insane fucking dream sequence that is just, again, I, I don't, I don't even, I can't conceive of how the Italians do this shit where they make everything look, perfectly misty and like ah man everything about that aesthetic is is uh wonderful and this dream sequence just kind of comes out of nowhere and it 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 feels so separate from the rest of the film in, in a way that is i i suppose you could critique it technically but it, it, for me it it feels like magic like so much of these movies feel like a magic trick to me like i I love coming back to all of them. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's like you said, John. You kind of got to give yourself over to this movie, and <laughs> don't let don't let the pacing throw you off. This is the ultimate suave style film. So, uh, would I start with this one? Probably not. I, I think the best place to start is is probably the next movie we're going to talk about. And yeah, I guess depending on your personal tastes, I fr- I think. This would be the last place I would start because, you know, if you're into some level of like 
gonzo Italian, like gothic inspired horror, then the church is a fine starting spot. If you're into slashers, the stage fright's a fine starting spot. And if you're into, uh, uh not that much foreign film, I guess, and uh, maybe some magical realism stuff, then uh, Cemetery Man would be a great onboarding point. But the sect is, is advanced. This is an advanced <laughs> course. No. As, as is the church, I would say. It yeah. is, but I, I think it's a little more immediately accessible because it plays with so much that people associate with Italian film, a lot of that goblin score and stuff of that nature. Like, it, it feels so familiar if, if you are at all versed in that sort of stuff. Um, not to say that it's, like, familiar in a way that is, like, perfunctory or anything. Like, it, it is a, a quite original film in many ways, but it, it, it also... It also feels distinctly derived from... Bava and Argento, right. and I, I think a lot of people, despite our advice, uh, will probably get to those two gentlemen before they'll ever touch Michelle Suave. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yep, for sure. Well, yeah. So, moving into <laughs> the the mid nineties, um, yeah, Suave's really got quite the career trajectory going. Uh, he's directed his first two movies. They're both or first three movies they're all all three of them are fucking incredible goes three for three on top of that not only has he been an ad for the likes of argento but uh you know stage fright kind of gets him some some international critical acclaim plays at some european festivals and he actually meets up with terry gilliam and gilliam likes stage fright so much that he makes uh suave his ad on baron munchausen so that's pretty cool and so he finally gets to make this, I guess, almost like ready, ready made for America type of film. It's based on uh, a comic book series, which not one that's popular in America or anything, but, you know, that kind of style can play to. Unlike, uh, <laughs> unlike Rupert Everett, Everett, who was red hot. <laughs> well, yeah, so... It, <laughs> That's actually one of the sad things about this movie is I think Cemetery, is, is Cemetery Man is wonderful and it really feels like it could have been this big launching pad for him to make films internationally or, you know, start making films in America or, you know, even help prop up this ailing Italian film industry. But instead, it's it's basically his last big movie for God, I mean, you could say he still hasn't made a movie on this level at this point. I think in 2006, he finally made another feature, but I'm not sure if it's, but I don't believe it's been released outside of Italy in any capacity. Uh, yeah, I think that the, the features that you'll see on IMDb for him in the last 20 odd years are mainly Italian television films. Yeah. Children's Christmas movie, I believe. Uh, and and, and yeah, part of the reason that. why the aforementioned collapsing Italian film industry, and then also his his son was gravely ill. Uh, I guess uh, it's it, it's some sort of like rare liver disease, and so he he basically retired to take care of his son after this movie, and then he dedicated the next. 
five years of his life just to taking care of his son. And weird thing is, is, you know, by the time he returned, he started doing TV stuff and he never really returned to the, the horror movies that he started off with uh, or, or anything really <laughs> in the same well, There was realm. this big thing like, I'm going to say it was probably 15 years ago now. There was this uh, big internet rumor that he was uh, making a horror film called The Catacombs Club. Uh, it, it really, now if you just, if you search that, I think you get like a fucking Chud article from 2007 or something. But, uh, <laughs> no, that's about right. But yeah, it, it seems to have died on the vine, unfortunately. Yeah. So here, here's something that's kind of interesting. He, he never really went back to that kind of filmmaking. Uh, but his longtime girlfriend and the mother of his son, uh, she ended up co-writing a film that was based on her and Suave's like struggle to deal with their son's liver disease illness. Uh, that movie is called The Son's Room, and it actually won the Palme d'Or <laughs> in like 2001. I've, I've seen that movie. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, holy shit, like I, I never knew that those things were all connected, but uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, also, Another rumor that's kind of circulated about this is like after he took care of his son, he had been in the film industry for so long. At, not to say that it wasn't like a passion of his, but I guess he comes from a very wealthy family. So and, and he had done well enough in the film industry. So he really wasn't in a position where he felt like he needed to work. So he just he just really hasn't done much. So, I mean, good for him. Sucks for us. But yeah, here we are. Uh, so what is what is his real swan song kind of look like here? What is, what is Cemetery Man? And, See, now uh, this one, this is the one you should have told me to tell you the plot of, because this this is uh, much slip, more slippery than the set, frankly. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know, it, it's, it's about a guy, and uh, he's, he's a man in a cemetery. He takes care of the cemetery, and wouldn't you know it, those, those dang dead people keep, keep waking up. Hate when that happens. Uh, but yeah, it, it's kind of funny, because it starts off as a very conventional type of what yeah. you expect from a zombie movie it's you know all the way down to like gotta shoot these guys in the head when they come back to life and the dead are rising and and all this and and there's even all this like hard-boiled kind of like narration like <laughs> yeah i live alone and i'm a tough guy even though yeah. you know it's rupert everett the opening scene the opening scene is like taylor made for like uh like late teens to watch this and just be like completely sucked in immediately oh yeah. yeah you watch this right after evil dead 2 and you're like oh yeah yeah exactly exactly which i think Except that was you get to the back experience. half of the movie that you just uh, yeah, yeah. You know, you're probably <laughs> drunk so you don't notice that it's ceased being what the, you signed up for you're like what is this weird keyboard score that sounds like it's like out of like a weird television movie on pbs no god yeah so it, it does. It, it kind of careens into something very different. Uh, but the whole thing is anchored by some amazing performances from people that you will basically not see frequently outside of like the mid 1990s. Uh, so the, the female lead, Anna Falchi, I, I don't think she ever did anything that I've seen outside of this. I, I'm sure she was, she was in other Italian movies, but not exactly a household name. Uh, Rupert Everett, uh, had a, a bit of a career in the 90s, but was, of course, uh, famously blackballed because he's gay and no one wanted to cast him as either, you know, a tough guy action hero like he is kind of here to a degree or uh, a romantic lead in a romantic comedy again because 
uh, the, the thought was, well, he's, he's gay, so how's he going to do romance with ladies? Uh, you know. And boy, did uh, Suave prove them all wrong. Oh, prove uh, them all wrong. <laughs> I was going to say, though, uh, a funny thing about the uh, Anna Fulci actress, she was in this, uh, this uh, one of the Martin, Mar- Sergio Martino movies I have not seen, um, because it's a 2008 comedy, <laughs> and um, it, uh, it, it is very notable to me for having seen the poster a ton of times on Letterboxd, and it is a um, soccer coach in a stadium with a tie, like, loosened. Oh, yeah, and he's, like, covering he's, his dick up, right? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's getting hit in the balls. Uh, I'll send it to you guys. Yeah, but. he's, like, he, like, look, I, I've seen this picture before. Like, the poster, it looks like like a shitty Windows 95 Photoshop. Yeah, there it is. It's like Italian George Costanza, like, covered his dick, like, don't kick me in the dick with a soccer ball. Yeah, I don't even know what the title of the movie actually, like, translates to. Yeah. But, I, uh, it's a sequel as well, so... It's <laughs> that was a whole... Maybe we'll watch that next next uh, October, Sean. All, all yeah. the films in the La Etorore Nel Palone series. <laughs> God, yeah, the Italian comedies of the, the the 70s and 80s, it's just like, I, yeah, maybe we should do like a fun, like, that would be the only excuse to, for me to actually like get through some of those like Martino blind spots is like, uh, for something like this. What? Not for October, but. I, I've no. just put this into a translator, by the way, it, it, it directly translates to the coach in the ball too. <laughs> the coach, <laughs> the coach getting hit in the balls. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's that's a great name for a movie. So uh, but yeah, I, I mean, Anna Fulci, Fulci, however you say her name, just striking scene presence, uh, presence, and not just because <laughs> she's uh, topless and uh, Sean was hyper focused on her areolas for the entire duration of the movie. Yeah, sure, uh, sure. She she really like anytime she's on screen, it's it's just amazing you're like drawn to her uh and there's not many actresses that have that level of like magnetism to them that is perfect for the character she plays and yeah it's it's unbelievable and i'm sure a lot of that too is is what suave's doing but my god like she is just credible and uh really kind of i don't know along with rupert everett just anchors the whole thing and also uh rupert's Little assistant, uh, Nagi, is fucking great, too, who's basically like, hey, what if uh, Uncle Fester was a mute? It's wonderful. Love this guy. Yeah, he's like the hunchback. Yeah, he's also uh, famously in City of Lost Children. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Just, yeah, I mean, and obviously this is is like based on a comic book, and I I think the only part of, of this that screams comic book to me is just these these big characters uh that are just i don't know again that like any of these three characters could just anchor this whole fucking thing and i'd be happy with it but uh yeah they're they're all incredible and, well i mean it's it's based on a comic book like i don't even is this a comic book or is it uh i know it's a comic book author but i think it might be like a like a uh more of a dime store paperback sort of thing mm-hmm. but e- either way it's it's pulp fiction uh, and very unabashedly so, but it's also to say it's based on a comic book is just you, you know you're talking more along like the 
the Mobius or like uh, Ghost World is based on a comic book or something. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. You're not going to have fucking no, Thor. This isn't like uh, uh, Marvel or down anything. From the sky. Yeah, no. It's, I wonder if it's like a, a serial that like if it's based on multiple, you know, like a like a comic book series or something, because the film is very episodic. Uh, I am. I think it is directly based on a novella. Um, and okay. again, I, this author is best known for a comic writing, uh, Dylan Dog, um, which has also been adapted into a much, much, much worse movie. Uh, but yeah, I think I think it's actually a novella. So I, I don't know which you would think would make it less apt to be episodic, but it, it surely is. <laughs> uh, it, it's yeah, it, it does feel that way, and also. One of the things, again, another thing I really respect about Suave is he's he's funny. Like he's got good comedic timing, <laughs> and and the way he shoots the the comedy scenes in this is just it's great. Uh, and and this movie does it really kind of bounces freely between uh, classic horror and and comedy, and then just kind of that that macho cool '90s action. Uh, that was like popularized even more towards towards the middle of the decade and he just he just does it all effortlessly and it's great because this you you want to talk about a fucking shaggy dog of a movie yeah it starts off as like oh this guy just he he looks over a cemetery and people keep rising from the grave and you think that's it and it's like no he's actually trapped in a bizarre like i don't even know purgatory hellscape uh that he can never get out of and it's almost like he's it's like he's trapped in a fucking snow globe basically where it's just this cemetery in this italian town and and none of this is explained in, or there, and there's no effort is made to explain it and that's fine but uh <laughs> yeah it it's weird because then then the whole thing by the time you're rushing to the end and uh the the female lead played by anna falci keeps popping up as as different characters and driving rupert everett completely fucking batshit insane while he's trying to kill all these zombie characters and it all just kind of boils up and then by the time he gets to the end it's this really like kind of like downbeat moment uh which again a another <laughs> just unexpected move in a, in a in a movie like this that also has a scene where a guy rips the head off of a like a young female zombie so he can keep her in his broken TV and sing songs with her and kiss her. It's yeah, it's all over the fucking place. Yeah. I mean, it's not a narrative film like this is, it's almost a stretch to call this a horror film, you know, watching it now. I'm like, Oh, this is, this is a fucking art film. <laughs> like this is movie is totally just like existentialism nonsense. Like I, I, in a, in a fine way, but it's just, it's, it is what the title says it is. Not the Cemetery Man title. The Delamorte Delamore uh, title. It's just ruminations on love and death and this sort of existential dread and this feeling of being trapped in a job, in a place, in a And being uh, upset because everybody thinks your dick doesn't work? I mean, that's, yeah. that's tough. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's very much... It, it feels a lot more personal than his other work, I would say. And also, it's a character study. And it, it does fit very neatly in, <laughs> into the 90s. It's the sort of thing that a lot of uh, a big American 
college dude bro films in the late nineties uh, explored quite thoroughly. But mm-hmm. hey, this is earlier and also better. <laughs> oh, for sure, uh, Sean. I, I'm really curious, like, just what your initial reaction was when you were watching this, because. Again, this is one where I, I would probably say like, oh, if you're going to watch Suave, like start here. Uh, but also it's so markedly different in terms of tone <laughs> than anything else he's done. I think it's a, I, I think it's good. Um, I was I was saying before we, we uh, were recording that um, I think all four of, of the Suave films that I've seen are just remarkably consistent in terms of like overall uh like how i feel about them after i watch them like i think they're all good i i on on one watch i don't love any of them um i think that that is that time is to come now that i like kind of know what each one of them is uh since it is pretty unpredictable like what exactly he's going to be doing with uh any given script but um i this one feels the most american like t- like the most accessible for an American audience. And in some ways I, I prefer the sect and the church in opposition to that. Um, and, but, and, and Rupert Everett is a strange uh, performer to, to watch now. Like somebody you just go, Oh, I haven't thought about him for a long time. Um, but I think that the pacing, the pacing definitely tripped me up. Like uh, on this, like no doubt, but, but it like kept pulling me in and out like by the end i was just like like it ends on a really strong note and it does hit sort of that like more like uh like almost like poignancy at least for suave um that uh yeah i don't know like like i said the pacing is not his strong suit but but there's like there's an unpredictability to what he's doing that is Mm -hmm. uh, that's worth watching and and it's uh you know it's to his credit um but yeah well, there's a great scene at the end of the movie that I think sums up his pacing mm-hmm. throughout his his yeah. career, like throughout all four of his his uh, films in this kind of run from the late '80s to the, the mid '90s, and that's when uh, he's he's driving with his his bud, and they're finally getting out of the cemetery. So him and Nagi are, are you know they're cruising, they're going through this tunnel, and then because they're trapped in this this kind of like purgatory space. Uh, the road just kind of ends, so he slams on the brakes, and then Nagi's face <laughs> slams into the car, and his, his like nose, his face is all busted up and and bleeding everywhere. And that's what his movies are like. It's like you're just kind of like cruising along through a dark tunnel that's almost lulling you to sleep, and then all of a sudden he hits the brakes and you smash your face on the dashboard. Uh, so yeah, that's what you can expect, but like in a nice way. <laughs> yeah, I I'm kind of like had a similar reaction to Sean this time around, which is is strange i mean i came back around on this but uh starting it i was like do i not like this movie anymore like i (laughs) i used to i used to love this movie like i thought it was it's it's on my short list for like favorite horror movies of the 90s and well he tests you right because the the whole first 10 minutes it's like fake tough guy shit and voiceover narration telling you things that you don't need to know you're like oh god where's this gonna Yeah, and it it very much is like, hey, I bet you like this 19-year-old dumbass, and, you know, eventually it gets there. It's a really interesting film, for sure, but I I do 
find myself at, at this stage in life preferring this sort of really really italian uh really just balls to the walls uh exercises in style that are the the uh church and the sect frankly but um i all four of them uh, sean says he hasn't come to love them i i long ago came to that uh, conclusion on some and the ones that i was a little more lukewarm on were probably uh the sect and stage fright and frankly they both have a case to be his best film like i i think i i would unabashedly say that that i love all of his catalog and i i'm just it makes me sad that he stopped working but yeah so it goes yeah sometimes your kid gets a rare liver disease jeez virus you're fucking insensitive well, um, I'm I'm not insensitive, but also I I just <laughs> I uh Adabiro's notoriously not insensitive. Uh, well, you know, to the to the right set. Um <laughs> I, I'm insensitive to strangers, perhaps. Uh <laughs> no, um I I just I don't know. You you don't it's hard to say. His career's trapped in amber in like the best way possible because it's not like it's like name a great Italian horror film that came out after Cemetery. <laughs> it's like it's it's almost fucking impossible, and that is shallow. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, one of those late Argentos. I don't even remember the fucking names of the things, but uh, one of them was pretty decent. Sleepless. Uh, yeah, there you go. I believe that was the one. That was a pretty solid. I don't movie. know. Um, I I I fucking hated Jello when, when I watched it, but. I just, I just think about Adrian Brody as the killer doing like his weird, mm-hmm. fake, gruff voice Italian thing. accent. He's just like, oh, Christ. Uh, I'm going to stab <laughs> you, Chef Boyardee. <laughs> like the whole time. <laughs> it's so fucking <laughs> funny. Aesthetic. Uh, it's, it's, Why are you looking at my nose? <laughs> it, it is really wretched. I have come to, you know, accept a late Argento a lot more. I think there's some good stuff there, but nothing on this level. And it's hard to say, like, you know, if Suave hadn't stepped away, the system that was supporting him stepped away from, you know, supporting any filmmakers and it stepped away from the genre and it stepped away from quality filmmaking. So maybe it's for the best. Cause he, he would have been a man on an Island. Oh yeah. And I mean, and it builds this, like you said, it builds this mythos around him. Like you just make, just four incredible films in a in a row and then you're just like i'm done you know it's uh better to burn out than to fade away you know it's it's the way to do it uh but yeah i i think i think the big takeaway here as far as i'm concerned is um have you watched michaela suave's films oh you haven't well what are you fucking doing with your life go watch them Uh, there was a time where it was difficult to find these movies you know there was uh, i don't think the sect had a a great home release. And then for a long time, Cemetery Man was out of print on DVD. So, but guess well, what? I remember that, the church being pretty tricky to find too back in the day. Oh yeah. Church was a pain in the ass to find too. Cause there was some like shit ass anchor Bay DVD that went out of print and it was, it, well, it was plus that movie problems. has, has like, it's gotta have some music rights. I'm going to guess <laughs> there's some problems with the music in that movie. No, absolutely. But the point is, you don't have to go through these struggles anymore, okay? They're, they're all readily available on the internet. Pretty easy to find. There's beautiful high-def releases of it. You can buy this shit on Amazon now. So 
watch these movies. They're fucking fantastic. And, and if you're saying to yourself, well, I've already watched these. When's the last time you watched these movies? Watch them again. You probably haven't watched them in five watch or ten now. years. Watch them today. Yeah. What, right the fuck now. What are you, why are you even listening to us talk? You dumb son of a bitch. Just fucking watch these. God. Uh, Sean, you got any last thoughts on uh, Mr. Suave? No. Do you have any thoughts on La Elantor Nel Palone 2 from 2008? Huge upgrade on the first. Yeah, agreed, <laughs> agreed. All right, Myros, what are you putting over this week? Uh, the only movie I've seen in the last week is uh, Hulu Good way to start. Um, you saw the new Hellraiser? Well, don't spoil it. We're doing a, a Patreon episode. I think you're the only one who hasn't seen it. Well, Sean probably hasn't. I'm glad, and I'm glad we're either. bookending this fucking podcast <laughs> with new Hellraiser somehow. <laughs> well, I'm not going to put it over because it's not very good, but uh, I don't know. What's an Italian movie that gets better and better the more you watch it? Uh, Dario Argento's Inferno. Uh, a, a very difficult film to, uh, to fall in love with on, on first blush. It, it is mm -hmm. much like uh, Sean is, has noted with Suave, uh, Inferno is one of the most languid films you will ever see, and you could very easily lose patience with it, and billing it as a sequel to Suspiria is fucking insane, and it is a much different film, but uh, I think it informs a lot of Suave's aesthetics, and is just one of the most gorgeous films uh, I've ever seen. So, uh, if you've seen it and didn't like it, Watch it again, uh, and if you haven't seen it, well, watch it because it, it it rules. Yeah, it does rule. Also ties into this podcast because uh, you know, Suave actually. I I think the first time he started working with Argento, like seriously, like Argento was like, I want to produce your shit. I want to like you know make you a, a filmmaker. Was uh, right after he made Inferno. So there you go. Uh, Sean, what are you putting over this week? Murder Rock. Lucio Fulci's 1984 film Murder Rock, uh, which I talked about earlier, but um, it's just kind of 1984 in a nutshell. In, in Italy, like, it, it has this rock opera stuff going on. It has aerobics going on, um, and it still has uh, some uh, giallo uh, uh, structure to it or what have you. Um, and it's just super cool. The music's fun. Um, it's visually just super interesting. Uh, it was, uh, it was one of the, one of the sort of non-marquee Fulci's that I was, uh, really struck by. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one to put over too, because, you know, in terms of really solid Fulci movies that no one fucking talks about, that's like top of the heap. Uh, not, not something the gore hounds typically yeah. go into. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Good, uh, good recommendation. All right, well, it, it is spooky season, so I'm going to put over a horror movie as well. Watched a little movie called Bloodbath from 1966 the other day. And I watched it because, I mean, it's streaming on Tubi and Amazon right now, and it just popped up as a recommendation. And I remember like, oh, Arrow put out a version of this a few years ago, and I'll just watch this because it's uh, also... 61 minutes long. You want to talk about an ideal uh, length for a film? My God, it doesn't get any better than that. And it is amazing <laughs> because you ever watch something and you're like, 
I feel like I've like these the filmmakers kind of like stumbled into some sort of avant-garde masterpiece of some sort. Like it's just by complete accident they've made something incredible. And that's what this is. I don't know the ins and outs of it. I feel like if I were to get the Arrow Blu-ray, I'm sure there's like a feature-length documentary on on what kind of a hatchet job this movie was. But immediately, as soon as you start watching it, like within 10 minutes, you're like, there's something very wrong here. <laughs> and it, it kind of feeds into the uneasiness and the mood of the whole movie. And as far as I can tell, uh, Roger Corman was trying to shoot some sort of a vampire movie and he didn't like how it was going. So then he got Jack Hill to reshoot and, and shoot a bunch of stuff. Jack Hill, of course, uh, did Foxy Brown, Coffee, Spider Baby, <clears throat> movies like that. And then I don't know if, if he wasn't happy with what Jack Hill was doing or if he just like, he was like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to have two people like do shoots at the same time to cobble crap together to make a movie out of three movies. So he gets Stephanie Rothman, who, Sean, talking about candidates for next year's October slate, uh, I, I'd love to do her. She did, uh, well, Bloodbath, uh, but famously Terminal Island, uh, which Vinegar Syndrome just did a 4K release of, and also The Velvet Vampire, which I, I think is on your wavelength. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they, they both shoot, and it, it, it's impossible to tell who's doing what. But what you get is this kind of bizarro mashup that I guess kind of resembles a bucket of blood if you're going to compare it to anything from that time period. Nice. Uh, and it's, it's got Sid Haig in it. So what else do you need? There's a vampire. There's Sid Haig. Nothing makes any sense. It is inexplicably gorgeous. Uh, it's great. And you could watch it for free. And it's 61 minutes long. That's called the ideal horror film. So uh, yeah, if you like a bucket of blood, if you like just kind of the uneasy, eerie cheapness of Carnival of Souls. Uh, this is your shit. Watch it. Bloodbath. Who doesn't? Carnival of Souls fucking rules. But I, I would caution rule. you against going to bat for every Sid Haig movie, because I think you'll get into deep waters real quick. Well, I, I'm not going to go to bat for every Sid Haig, but I, you know, I, I like a good Sid Haig performance. You know? Sure. If Sid Haig is in something terrible, Sid Haig is usually the best part of the terrible thing. So there's that. Uh, but anyways, hey, did you like the podcast today? Of course you did. You're still listening. That that probably counts for something, even though I think I just told you to fuck off and go watch some movies instead. Uh, but if you are listening, why don't you give us some money? Have you ever thought about doing that? I bet you have. And <laughs> now it's a great time to do that. And why would you want to give us money? Well, podcasting, it, it, it costs a lot. Do, do you hear the, uh, the, the dulcet tones of Adam Myros's voice, that warm, velvety texture? You know, that's because uh, we're able to provide him with the recording equipment he needs to sound like a, a beautiful boy. And we want Adam Myros to continue to sound like a beautiful boy. And don't you want money to go towards making him sound better as opposed to expanding his large collection of illegal firearms that federal authorities <laughs> are not aware of? I mean, I certainly do. So, yeah, if you donate any amount of money to the podcast and you live in the continental United States... I will send you a movie from my personal collection. Could be a DVD, a Blu-ray, a box set, a VHS. I pick up weird crap all the time. And I have a box of weird crap specifically to give to weirdos like you. Uh, so you don't know what you're going to get. And then at a higher tier, uh, you, you spend five bucks. You get to vote on content that we're going to do for the podcast. 
and to get your name read out on air because you're you're a special boy or girl when you get into that category. And Myros, who are our special boys and girls this week? Ah, uh, we have Koufax, Kropotkin, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. There you go. And at even higher levels, you get to dictate content. You get to actually say, I want you guys to do an episode on this shit. And uh, that's, I mean, that's how we got 90s Jackie Chan. Uh, which again, I'll keep saying it, I, are the people who listen to the show and enjoy it, I think they like us more than we like ourselves. Uh, certainly more than I like any of you, because that was a really nice thing. <laughs> I just keep expecting people to make us watch hentai, and it never happens. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so give us money if you got some money to give. That'd be great. Or if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Uh, love to hear from you. Love getting emails. Uh, also a good spot if you don't want to pay us money, but you want to try and bribe us into uh, doing an episode, you could always pitch us there. That's fine. Uh, maybe we'll listen. Maybe we won't. <laughs> or you can tweet at us at Optimism Vaccine. And uh, yeah, someone, someone will probably say hi to you. We don't know. Hard to say. Sean, excited for next week. Uh, are you ready to see a man drive a nail through the tip of his penis? Yeah, we're, 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 we're watching, we're doing the films of uh, Michelle's brother, Rico, correct? That's, that's <laughs> correct. That's correct. 